It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Access Atlanta. Every week, we share some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. And, of course, we go behind the scenes and find the stories that show Atlanta is one of a kind. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We've changed the way we do our podcast. That means we're recording it remotely from our homes, but we've also changed what we're talking about in the podcast, since we've always prided ourselves on providing guidance on things to do in and around Atlanta, and because most venues, theaters, and attractions are closed, we're going indoors, and in some cases where it's practical, outdoors to places where it's easy to practice social distancing. Working artists have had a rough go in the age of COVID-19, but they're slowly returning to events that will get them back in business. Among those artists is Atlanta's Jenny Stallings, who will be hosting an open studio event at her new studio in Reynoldstown soon. Felicia Feaster spoke with Stallings about being an artist during the pandemic and the challenges they faced. Welcome, Felicia. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, Jenny Stallings is a really interesting case because Obviously, a lot of us are really enjoying working from home. It's been a wonderful respite, but for artists, that can be kind of problematic when your art making bleeds into your home life and you don't have that kind of dedicated space. Artists need a physical space oftentimes to do their work, especially when it's large work, but they also need kind of an imaginative space where they can go and create and go deep and spend time and really concentrate. So having this Reynolds Town Studio has been a real boom for Jenny to create her work. And it was a result of a stimulus check. She was able to afford the rent on this um, former church now serves as her art studio. And in addition, Jenny works with a potentially slightly dangerous um, form of encaustic, which involves heating beeswax to apply it to the canvas surface. And, you know, there is some some volatility in that process that it's nice to have a, a space outside of your home where your your son and your husband live to, to do that. So she's a really good example of how important it is for artists to have that, that dedicated space to create. Right. And they've also faced challenges about getting their art seen, I imagine. And, you know, I mean, they have, of course, there's the virtual world where people can see work, but there's nothing like seeing it in person and, you know, potentially becoming, you know, 
an owner of a piece of art. That's that's so true. And I think a lot of artists obviously have had shows canceled. They they had exhibitions, you know, on on the books that ended up being canceled because of COVID. And there's just nothing to substitute, you know, we're so used to looking at everything online, but something like what Jenny's doing, which is very much about the surface, that encaustic beeswax, and her images themselves are very dreamy, very meditative. Um, I think that it'll be really good for people to see them in person and and possibly walk away with a piece of art. These works are available anywhere from $100 to $6,000. So there's a range of opportunity. If you, you see something and you decide this is gonna kind of make your living room or your bedroom. So it's a wonderful chance to also meet the artist and talk about how she does her work and what it means to her. And that's an, an additional insight that you can't get you know, virtually. Right. And it's an opportunity to help support the local artists who who have had a rough time of it. Yeah, that is so important. Artists have really struggled, not only with the financial side of art making during COVID, but just the isolation and the the difficulty for all of us in, in having this kind of anxiety about what comes next, not knowing what's coming next. And that's that can be a real struggle. So I know a lot of, of artists have really had a difficult time with that as as many of us also have. So it's nice to see them out in the world again, get a chance to talk to them, get a chance to see their, their work. Yeah. Well, is there anything else we should know before you, we hear your conversation with Jenny Snollins? Just that um, keep in mind, you know, her, her image bank is very much inspired by her personal experience, by dreams, by musings. It's kind of surrealism light. It's a more feminine, gentler kind of surrealism maybe than you think of someone like a Salvador Dali creating. So I think going into it, it's nice to, to maybe have some questions for Jenny about where these images come from? Who is that lady soaking in the above ground pool? What is that skirt doing floating in space? Why do you love mushrooms so much? So <laughs> well, that's great. That's great. So so also we'll have a, a story to go along with this uh, that you're writing uh, that's going to be coming out this weekend. So if people want to see the images, they'll be able to go there. And of course, we'll have links and all that stuff that uh, you can find out more. For sure. Yeah. Check out her website. That'll also be included in the story. Um, so you can see, see the images. Get a sneak peek before you head to her studio. All right. Well, thanks so much, Felicia. Thank you. I'm here with Jenny Stallings and Jenny on October 2nd and 3rd, you are having an open studio sale at your new Reynolds Town studio here in Atlanta. Can you tell me a little bit about what people can expect from the open studio? Thank you, yes. Um, I am renting this fabulous old church uh, and a friend, and art consultant Amy Miller is helping me organize this event to help grow my contacts um, in Atlanta. And I have been, I guess, for the last 11 years at home painting um, as a mom. I have an 11 year old son. And when I got my stimulus check, I rented a studio space <laughs> after after 2020 and I just knew I needed more space. I had so much bigger things to, 
to work on. And so it's an, it's a, probably about a thousand square foot, tiny old church um, and full of great light. And it'll be full of beautiful paintings and, and people are welcome to come on through. There's a backyard space. If you have children that are not vaccinated and wanna hang out in the backyard, um, please wear masks inside. And uh, it has a big open ceiling. So I think that it'll be really nice to just walk through and check it out. I hope people come out. I'm very excited. Well, I'm very encouraged by the fact that you were able to use your stimulus check to support your work as an artist. I know COVID has definitely been a struggle for so many visual artists and having shows canceled and not having the usual networks and opportunities to sell their work. Um, has it changed beyond just getting that stimulus? It, it has been a struggle <laughs> to be an artist during this time. But I do think some great work is coming from artists do struggle and um, and show that in beautiful ways throughout history. So uh, we are also art historians, I think, and um, some of the greatest works come comes out of strife. I do believe that. So for people to have a sense of what the open studio will entail what are the sizes of the work? What are some of the, what's the price range of the work? Like if, if you want something huge to go over your sofa or something smaller to put in a little nook of your home, you know, what will people see there? I have work um, everywhere from a hundred dollars up to 6,000. Uh, the largest piece that I work on at this time is 60 by 48 inches. Um, and I have several about five that size. I have a lot of little ones and mid-size too. So there's a little bit of something for everybody. That's great. A lot of opportunities for someone maybe who doesn't think of themselves as a collector to start collecting at a, at a really reasonable price point. So your work is very unique. It's, it's kind of dreamy. It feels like pulled out of uh, your subconscious in some ways. It's very um, rich with narrative detail. How would you describe your work to someone who had never seen it? What it feels like, what it looks like? I would say dreamy. I love that you said that. Thank you. I, I feel like because I work with encaustic and I work with wax, it does give this dreamy atmospheric feel to the work. It gives a lot of texture and layering and um, I dig into the wax sometimes. And so sometimes it feels really rough. Sometimes where I um, burn out the wax, it's very smooth. It feels kind of skin-like texture. I, I would describe my work has feminine power to it. Also, um, I would describe, I would think I, I paint a lot of skirts and female figures that represent things. And I, I would, the, I, I want the viewer to look at my work and be curious and to think about why I painted certain things. And, um, so I, I guess I would say I, I really wanted to draw people in and, and make them curious. Well, it definitely makes me curious. One of my biggest questions for you is that uh, recurring kind of dark haired lady that's in so many of your paintings. Is that you? 
Well, I, I do believe it is. I think that it often, it, I can't help it and it does just turn into me. <laughs> um, I, I think that art is um, my response to my world and my environment. And it is autobiographical that I'm explaining pictorially my experience in my lifetime and or throughout my lifetime. Um, I'm a woman and so I usually paint the female figure. Um, sometimes she might be like a double feet, like two females that, that look like twins um, representing um, duality, but also I'm a Gemini and I think that's funny. And um, it, the female figure might be representing um, many different things depending on if she's holding something in her hands or what um, environment or like uh, what the what's happening in the background for instance but I'm I can't help it I do feel I use uh, um, the figure as an autobiographical source so. that makes perfect sense I also think in your work what I see is you're creating sort of a mystical enchanted world um, your work with snails and flowers and hummingbirds and pink elephants and Johnny Cash and old-fashioned ladies in long <laughs> and towering pastel mushrooms. You really, really like mushrooms. Um, nature seems like a really big influence for you. Would you say so? Definitely. Um, I find so much restoration through uh, nature. I find Oh, it's a great way to just get very grounded. And um, especially during last year, um, spent a lot of time in my backyard and started getting into mushrooms when I realized we had so many different kinds growing in our yard and how cool that was. And just, I get really excited about researching things. And so researching, you know, for what foraging, what, what is it all about and um, how, some plants are medicinal and, and some could kill you and are poisonous um, and how that can be symbolic. Uh, I think my work, um, it, it's, I'm inspired also by my own environment as I was saying earlier and, um, and I use uh, metaphors like um, skirts or right now I'm working a lot with the oval, the shape of the oval and or the symbol of an egg. And, um, and it all has double meaning, um, uh, which kind of also represents more uh, like double standards or like again, duality. So there is this undercurrent of surrealism happening that's a little bit deeper that you might uh, catch on to if you look long enough, so. And it's, to me, it's like a gentler kind of surrealism. It's not like that hard edge Salvador Dali where you're like a little bit intimidated by what's going on um, on the canvas. So I, I like that yours is, it does feel a little more gentle and feminine. Um, I think what you're, the way you describe your work is, is so interesting because an open studio like you're doing is such a great way, you know, to meet an artist and to hear about mm -hmm. their work firsthand, you know, that's not always possible in a, a 
for a gallery opening where it's often really crowded, you don't get time with the artist, the artist may not be there on occasion. But is that part of the appeal for you of this way of presenting art to, to have an open studio so you can engage with people there? Absolutely. And I really feel I've been closed off from the world and I do want to engage with people and find out how they react to my work. For the longest time, I've been working out of my home and I haven't felt like I could invite this many people into my home to see my work. And I want it to be just this big celebration of the new space. I'm so excited about the studio and I, I, um, and I, I do, I use my art, uh, like it's my language, you know, I, I, um, this is how I communicate. So maybe not always like, for instance, right now I'm, I get tongue tied, like words are more difficult for me. It's why I chose the path of an artist. So I could use pictures to explain myself. And I, I really get excited in meeting other people that find inspiration that way too. I'm excited about that. And um, to me, when I have like, some really good friends that inspire me uh, throughout my life that are also artists that to me, that's the greatest gift that I could receive is inspiration. And if I can offer that to other people, then I feel like it will come back to me. I feel like it's a reciprocal uh, way to create. And you're not the first artist I've heard this from, that it is really, if you're an artist, you're an artist because you convey information uh, visually and you're not necessarily a spokesperson or decoder of your own work. I often liken artists to chefs. I mean, chefs are often asked to get out from the kitchen, get with the public and talk about what, they, what they've created. And I can all, always see them kind of squirming a little bit with that, <laughs> having yeah. to go public suddenly when they're basically working in a kind of a private environment. But I am curious, you know, I think people are very intrigued by artists and what they do. I wonder what's like one of the first things that people ask you when you tell them you're an artist, especially people who aren't necessarily in the art world. So don't really know what that reality is. <laughs> well, I think when people ask me or when I tell them I'm an artist, what they first ask me is, well, what do you do? What do you paint? You know, they, they want to know what style. And um, after having art history, you know, and a BFA and start talking about all the isms, people just look lost sometimes when I, you know, say, oh, neo-expressionism or surrealism. And and so I say, well, I paint with wax. I paint um, from uh, dream journals, from dream psychology. I'm, and then basically just really have to show it to them. It's a little bit hard to describe, but um, also having to justify sometimes, you know, yes, I am an artist and, um, uh, some people saying, oh, really, you know, um, well, prove it. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I get excited because uh, then I can show them things. But the other thing that I hear a lot from people is, oh, well, I love to paint, but I would never call myself an artist. And I really, I do, I don't think we become artists. I think we're all 
born artists and it really is just the discipline what it comes down to is committing making the commitment to make the work people might say oh i could have painted that you know when they look at something that is more um, minimal art or something but the thing is is they didn't paint it they didn't think about it and they didn't create it and so here we are looking at it and it's beautiful and it's engaging us in a conversation and and that's art and so anybody can participate it really is about i think being an artist is about being disciplined and and also when when you're gonna make some stuff sometimes that other people might not care for but just to keep going you know some sometimes it's not always going to be great you got to make some bad art sometimes to get to the good stuff I think that's a fantastic point that it's not about envisioning writing that book or creating that painting. It's the doing. That's the leap of faith. That's the hard thing that the artists have to grapple with, right? You even after you've created a whole body of work, then you have to create a new one. It's an ongoing process of creation. Well, speaking of creation, can you sort of give us the layperson's sort of breakdown of your process because you use the encaustic process which is a very old technique what what is what does that entail i've been using beeswax in my paint for i think i started so i graduated from memphis college of art in 1996 and i started using the beeswax in 1994 um, one of my professors recommended that I work with it. Uh, it was really popular in the 60s and in the 90s, it was kind of like nobody really remembered it. And now all of a sudden it's really popular again. But um, back in the 90s, I, I really, there, there wasn't much of the internet. And so trying to find books on how to do it, I really just taught myself and developed my own technique. I wasn't using pure pigments, I was using oil paint. And then my process is that I use oil paint and I'll paint uh, something and then cover it in the beeswax and then layers and layers of paint between beeswax. And each time I melt the wax and paint it on, I have to fuse the wax. So either using a heat torch or a, um, uh, like a blow torch or a heat gun um, to melt, remelt the wax and fuse it with the paint. You never know what's going to happen. I like that, it's very exciting. Sometimes you ruin the painting underneath. Um, sometimes it shrivels up. Sometimes that looks terrible and sometimes it's a really cool effect. Um, sometimes I dig back into the wax and, and pull off layers and there might be five or six or seven paintings um, that I'm digging through, which it, to me that sort of, you know how the Buddhists do the sand painting painting mandalas it's mm -hmm. kind of being having the will to just destroy everything that you've done in hopes that you might find something underneath that's so exciting to me um i get so much adrenaline <laughs> when when i get to dig through a painting like that and you know I'm, sometimes i just find the most a crazy thing that was like a face hiding underneath the where i dug out um that I forgot was there and it just happened to be in the right place and then add some more wax, melt it all back together. So for me, uh, the process 
I really did discover it, uh, this professor that told me about the beeswax, but actually before I was a painting major, I was a printmaking major and drawing on metal plates to produce a print, I was more excited about the actual drawing on the metal than the print on the paper. And so then another thing that the beeswax does that I love is that it allows me to dig into it like you would dig into metal. And, um, and actually you do use beeswax sometimes in etching in some forms of printmaking. So there, there was, that was kind of coming up and being introduced to me early on, but um, I love being able to dig into the wax and then rub paint into a line and where the line has variation, uh, like it might create a burr and then the ink or the paint will stick into that one place a little bit heavier and just beautiful. Like it's, I guess I would compare it sort of, my husband does glass blowing and it's, it's like that. You don't really know what's going to happen. It's just a great surprise. So the technique, um, it's really, really messy and I have to wear a um, face mask. Uh, when I do it, the, the flash point of beeswax is about 240. It catches on at 240 degrees. It'll catch on fire. So you have to uh, have it where you can regulate the heat temperature and know how hot it is. I use a big skillet so, so I can put my paintbrushes in it. Some people use double boilers. Um, I like to just use like a skillet that has the thermostat on it. And I have to wear a face mask when I do it with like the ventilators on it because the flash point, because beeswax, it catches on fire so quickly. What that means is that it evaporates very quickly. So, you know, when you have these wonderful beeswax candles, they, they're not putting off enough to hurt your lungs, but it does smell wonderful, right? But when, when you're, you're painting with beeswax, it's intense and you can get this in your lungs. And then when you breathe in the wax, as it's burning, um, it goes into your lungs and then can coat your lungs with wax. So it's really no joke. And then also heating up the layers of paint, I'm sure puts off a lot of toxins. So have to be careful. And these are things that I was doing in my home. So I, again, I am so grateful for this studio space that, that's so large and ventilated where I can work and, and get Get real messy with my process and I'm just loving it. I'm having a great time. Well, and to me, using wax, those layers of wax, it's such a sort of perfect melding of technique and idea because to me, your works are really almost like distilling a memory or an idea or a dream in amber. So it's it's very, there's a close connection to me between the way you create the works, the techniques you use, and the works themselves. You've actually described yourself as a storyteller. Now, I know that this painting you did, Hope, is not going to be for sale at your open studio because it has already sold, but to me it's, it's really intriguing. It's a woman who's kind of in a almost like a stock tank or an above ground pool. And she has these toy, toy sailboats around her. She's wearing a swimming cap and behind her is kind of a really delicate rainbow. It looks like, can you, can you describe what you were thinking when you created that work? 
Absolutely. Um, the painting is about, it's autobiographical about my life during 2020 and how I survived. I thought I would lose my mind. I mean, I know we all did. I, my experience was um, my son being home and virtual learning was very difficult. And very, there was not a lot of time for painting during that time. We were just, you know, arguing about this all day long. It took about eight hours to get through <laughs> the homework every day with with much struggle and so we we did we bought the overpriced above ground pool in 2020 but I would go out there every day and just float and just <clears throat> I could hear my own heart beating I could hear my breath I just could look at the sky and the clouds above me and know that I was gonna make it through this <laughs> I was and that was how I mean I that was my meditation so it's a little bit comical it's also a little bit dark but she's got a rainbow and i and i think it turned out it turned out like she made it through <laughs> definitely so she's telling that story of of um 2020 well jenny i'm glad you made it through and just tell people maybe how they can find out more about your open studio uh, on October 2nd and 3rd. Should they go to your website? Sure. Um, my yeah. website is JennyStallingsArt.com and it's J-E-N-I-S-T-A-L-L-I-N-G-S-A-R-T.com. And um, I'm also on Instagram if anyone wants to find me there. I post a lot of new stuff. Um, sometimes I, I recently just started getting into taking videos, uh, time-lapse videos of trying to show my process while I'm painting or while I'm using the wax, which is kind of fun. And um, on Instagram, I prefer that more than Facebook. Um, it's at Jenny Stallings Art is the tag for Instagram. So please check out my work there too. Um, sometimes I just post sketches that I'm doing or yeah, process and newer work. And I believe the invitation for the show is up on Instagram too. Well, Instagram is such a great venue for artists because you do get that uh, engagement from your audience. You get to show them what you're working on. And I'm definitely so excited to speak with you about your work. And I think I may have to stop by the studio myself. It sounds really intriguing. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I look forward to meeting you. And thank you for this opportunity, Felicia. The visual history of Atlanta is packed into boxes and stored in three different locations at Georgia State University. An archive of 10 million photographs, slides, negatives, videotape, and movie film. Tens of thousands of images have been digitized and placed online, but millions exist only in some physical form, as a negative image on a strip of mutable plastic or as a print on porous paper coated with a vulnerable emulsion. A $48,691 grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities will help get the preservation of this trove underway, though it will cost an estimated $1 to $1.5 million to get a proposed new space totally outfitted. Read the full story from Bo Emerson on AJC.com.
Except for the COVID-19 protocols in effect, the first weekend in October will resemble a pre-pandemic return to normal when throngs of people are expected to gather in downtown Decatur for the convergence of three festivals. Amplified Decatur Music Festival, Decatur Arts Festival, and the AJC Decatur Book Festival presented by Emory University. The event is billed as Festival Weekend, and it came about when the Book Festival was prompted by the pandemic to scale back to a single venue this year. Since organizers had already reserved the Decatur Square and the intersection of Ponce de Leon and Claremont Avenues, the Music and Arts Festival saw an opportunity to stage do-overs after having to cancel their 2020 events. Get all of the details on what's happening in Decatur this weekend on AJC.com. At age five, Alicia Witt recited a jaw-breaking chunk of Shakespeare from memory on TV's That's Incredible. By the wizened age of 14, she was acting on Twin Peaks and showing off her piano chops. Now 45, Witt is hitting the multi-hyphenate triple crown, acting in a broad range of projects, touring to support her new album of original songs, The Conduit, and launching her first book, Small Changes, a rules-free guide to add more plant-based foods, peace, and power to your life. And she'll be at Eddie's Attic on October 7th and signing books at Pont City Market on October 6th. Read our interview with Wit on AJC.com. To get the AJC delivered or to subscribe to the e-paper, go to AJC.com slash subscribe. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. The podcast is edited by Tyson Horn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Guen, and I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown. The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.